Hey there, I'm Morgan and this is Find Your Niche. I am so excited for today's episode. I had the pleasure to sit down and chat with Erica O'Connor. Erica is a pediatric speech and language pathologist and is the owner of her own practice called Find Your Voice Speech and Language Therapy. I absolutely love Erica's story. She worked at MTV and BBC in her 20s, which is where she found her passion to work with kids and decided to go back to school for her master's in speech and language pathology. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Erica. I would love to just start with beginning almost. Where did you attend college? So I went to Tufts University, which is right outside Boston, a suburb of Boston. Mm -hmm. Are you from Boston? So I'm from Yonkers, New York, right outside New York City. So I grew up right outside New York City, kind of in the suburbs, slightly urban area. And so I kind of got the best of both worlds there, being able to go into the city a lot. But I knew for college, I wanted to be the idea of being outside of another major city was definitely something that drew me to that school. What did you major in there? I majored in psychology. And, you know, if I think back to that time and why I picked that major, I I definitely was a little bit lost going into school. I was always, you know, very into school and I've always Mm -hmm. loved learning and was very academically focused, but I really had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, I knew like coming out of high school, like I knew I loved political science and I thought about law school and I'm was always interested in medicine, which is kind of interesting how this sort of wrapped back around with speech. So I, you know, thought, oh, maybe, you know, I could be a doctor, you know, not really understanding everything that goes into that at that age. So I was trying a lot of things my freshman year and getting for Mm -hmm. the first time in my life, a lot of not great grades. And I wasn't used to that. I'm used to getting, Mm -hmm. you know, good grades. So my Freshman year at Tufts was hard for me because I was really trying to find my, you know, I was kind of just grasping at a lot of straws. And so took some psychology, intro psychology classes. And I was like, oh, this is super interesting. But never did it occur to me, like, what does a, like, uh, I had never been to, you know, therapy. So I didn't know what does a, a counselor or psychologist do and did not understand the whole world of like, you know, the PhD research side, I didn't know anything about that. So once, so then I did like a focus in social psychology, that was my concentration. Mm -hmm. And when I met these social, you know, basically social scientists, social psychologists, and heard about their whole, like what they do, I was like, this is not interesting. I love these classes, but that is not what I want to do. So, you know, it was a lot of like trial and error in that way. And I minored in communications and I love, that was where I was like really excited again, kind of funny Mm -hmm. because I didn't come to speech till much like later in life. So I was like really excited about just communications and media and like that kind of side, you know, PR and advertising and writing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I was at at the end of college. Like I'm going to go to New York and like work for like an advertising or PR firm. (laughs) Did you do any internships in college? I did. I had a couple of different, so I had one kind of big main internship that I did every summer at a company called Pitney Bowes. My best friend still to this day, her mother is an executive at that company. It's a very large, you know, fortune 500 company. And so she hooked me up with this program that was kind of looking at like diversity and inclusion of people with different backgrounds. So Mm -hmm. I did the internship program through there 
there, got to kind of, again, try a lot of different roles and, you know, had, find, found my niche in something communications related. So they're most known in the world for like their postage meters and kind of in that post, but they do a lot more software and stuff like that. So I found my little niche in employee communications. So, you know, all the communications that go out to employees about, you know, everything from like HR matters, benefits, all that kind of health benefits, all that kind of stuff. And then I did that. And then when I was in Boston or at Tufts, I did a internship in my last year at a PR firm in Boston and was, you know, again, trying to like get into that lane. And then uh, when I started interviewing for jobs in New York, I, quickly realized that I was not cut out for the PR world. <laughs> I didn't really, like, I had a fantasy vision of what that was going to be like, and it wasn't, mm-hmm. it just wasn't where I wanted to be. So I was really just like, I remember, I don't even, this is really, I graduated college in a while, a long time ago. It was uh, 2003. So the world was kind of like different yeah. as far as like how you looked for jobs and just, you know, internet was different then so mm-hmm. I just remember going on like these searches like being back home at my parents and hadn't moved into the city yet and just looking for jobs and anything that said like communications or media I was applying to and I was working for then I got a job I actually got a job at Pitney Bowes after college so I was okay. there for about I don't know how long but I lived I was living with my parents maybe for like nine months after college working at Pitney Bowes and then I got a job interview at the BBC in New York, and that was my first job in media. Mm-hmm. So still not speech. <laughs> so you're in media for a bit. I worked in media and entertainment for eight years. Oh, wow. Okay, so speech really mm-hmm. was not... Nope. still not on the radar at all. Nope. I knew, yep, mm-mm. yeah. So I worked for the BBC, and then I worked for MTV. Wow. And did you enjoy that? I mean... I did, I did. And like, I... It, it's funny because like, if I think back, not only did I enjoy it, but it kind of uh, gave me a lot of the skills that I use Mm -hmm. in my current job as a speech therapist. And I I mean, I would have never understood that link until now looking back. But yeah, I loved, they were both working for the BBC and MTV were two completely different experiences, but I loved each one. I worked in research and so both on the, at BBC, both on the quantitative side, like ratings and that kind of data, like TV ratings and on the qualitative side and then on MTV strictly qualitative. So that means that we were the people who test all of the programming before it goes on air. Okay. So showing uh, shows to, I mean, at MTV, like basically the teen, you know, teens and young yeah. adults and adolescents and saying like, do you like this? And then getting, figuring out what's going to hit and what's going to miss. And so, and then a lot of other kinds of things. So lots of like combing through quantitative and qualitative data, finding patterns mm-hmm. and then making a really exciting story out of that to give to producers or whoever or salespeople. And I look back and I'm like, that's what I do when I write an evaluation report of a, for a yeah. kid. It's so, it's kind of funny how that happened. And it was like, you know, obviously being in media, you know, there's a lot of like fun and exciting things that come with that and travel Mm -hmm. and meeting cool people and doing cool things. And then I just reached like a point of absolute burnout. And I was like, I can't do this forever. So that's how I eventually, not yet how I found speech, but how I eventually got there. So you've reached a point of burnout and what are you thinking? Are you like, I need a different career trajectory? Like Mm -hmm. I need to start over somehow or... 
what's your thought process? It took a while to sort through it, but I would say the thought Mm -hmm. process was sort of like, there was an actual, like, I'm a tired burnout, that kind of like what you think of burnout, like I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I was traveling a lot at that point. I was flying out to the West coast, you know, almost every other week at that point. And I was just like, I couldn't. And I, you know, and at this point in my life, you know, I spent my entire twenties in New York city having a ball with my friends from college, like having just so much fun and doing that Mm -hmm. whole lifestyle. And so it was the job fit great for that period of work hard, play hard life. And I dated my husband for a long while before we actually got married. But at that point where I was getting towards the end of my MTV stint, we were kind of starting to settle down. We were getting closer to 30. We were talking about getting married. And I just didn't want to be away from our life all the time. And I was looking forward. I'm always, I'm a planner. So I was always looking forward and looking forward and saying, you know, I really, one of my big, you know, goals was I wanted to have a family and be a Mm -hmm. mom and have kids. So I just, I saw a lot of people making that all work and it looked, you know, like it looked possible, but it didn't feel right for me to be running at that pace and trying to Mm-hmm. also start a family in a different kind of life. So I was like, okay, so I've got the exhausted problem. I've got the, how does this fit with my like future goals? It's not like gelling. And then just the interests. Mm-hmm. my interests were, were not being fulfilled. And I found myself anytime I did anything related to children's programming, just getting so mm-hmm. excited because okay. with children's pro- TV programming, like little kids, like preschool programming, mm-hmm. you know, they typically bring in like psychologists or PhDs who, you know, are their area of specialties, early, you know, childhood development and education. And I was like, that's super cool. And so I found mm-hmm. myself like just continually like trying to get jobs at Nickelodeon and like trying to like network with those people. And as the more people I talked to in that world and the more jobs I interviewed in that world, I realized I don't want to be in in business per se. I want to be working in this world of of early childhood development. This is super cool. And that's what set me on the path to speech. So I started talking to anybody I could find that worked in that world. So, you know, a school psychologist, speech therapist. Mm -hmm. I knew about speech therapy from both of my parents in just that my mom always worked for school systems. My dad always worked in mm-hmm. healthcare and sometimes worked with speech therapists and, and just, and just friends of ours that had, you know, their own, we didn't really know any speech therapists, but like a, we, we had a, a family friend that was a school psychologist. So he you know yeah. had his own practice and that looked so cool to me, you know, that, that sounded so interesting to me. So I kind of started to started there and talked to went and met and shadowed some speech therapists and was like, that's what I want to, that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's exciting. And so you shadow some speech therapists and you're like, okay, this is, this is it. This is what I think I want to now get into. Do you apply for graduate school at this point? Yes. So I had to first do figure out how to get into graduate school. I needed to have the prerequisites to apply to graduate school. So I had some in other Mm -hmm. areas that were not related to communication sciences, but I needed the communication sciences prereqs. So I applied to a program in New York City, because that's where I was still living, through Hunter College. It's part of the City University program Mm -hmm. of New York. And they had a prerequisite program for people just like me, who either were just, just got out of college and just didn't, again, do that major and needed Mm -hmm. to 
get all the classes or people who have been out for a while. So it was nice because the classes were usually like in the evenings yeah. after work. So I work during the day and take these classes at night and start to, and started doing research on all of the schools and where, what else I needed to do. I needed to do a certain number of like observation hours mm -hmm. shadowing. And so I, you know, had to do that. And so at that point I had to, I, I was lucky enough to be able to switch jobs because I wouldn't have been able to manage that in my MTV job. Just got really lucky, was able to go back to the BBC and just kind of have a job where I was traveling less and doing less and was able yeah. to kind of manage all of that. Yeah, it was a crazy, I was also planning my wedding at that time. It was a busy, busy time. It was a lot, but I, but then I was able to, you know, have everything I needed to apply to, to graduate school. Okay. And w did you go to graduate school in New York city? I did. I went to teacher's college, which is part of Columbia university. It's their school of education mm -hmm. and my master's is a master's of science. So they have, you know, speech therapy and psychology and other related fields, even though it's not specifically, you know, in some schools, the speech pathology falls under, you know, the medical school and some it's the school of education, some it's other places. So that's, yeah. that's where I went. Did you, was graduate school full-time for you or were you able to still work? It was full-time. Most, I mean, I, you know, a lot of the programs are, I think there's somewhere there's part-time things. Yeah. And it was a full-time program. Mm -hmm. I was not, they tell you at the beginning. And again, I don't want to speak for every program, but our program, they say most yeah. of the programs I applied to were full-time programs where they were like two or two and a half years. And they say, you know, you don't expect to work because you're doing your clinical rotations throughout. Mm -hmm. So that means that you are not in your first semester, but usually starting in the second semester, you're taking your classes at you know a certain schedule. Not you know you're not not five days a week, but maybe three days a week or or half of the day. And then you're out working in the field in a clinical placement where you are the therapist. You're the therapist. You're being supervised. You're starting to work right away. You know for free. So like you know. So I was lucky enough to be you know married at that point. But I you know nannied and did you know nannied mm -hmm. to make some money. And yeah, so it was a full full load. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah. So it's interesting that your job at MTV and working with like the children's programming is what seems to lead you to get into pediatric mm -hmm. speech therapy mm -hmm. as well. Yep. Was your first job after graduating and in speech therapy, was that with the children's practice? Yes. So I am, I knew from the uh, outset that I only wanted to work in pediatrics because speech uh, language pathologists do can work with kids or adults. I knew I wanted to be in pediatrics and I knew I wanted to be in a private practice setting or an outpatient clinic setting. I did one of my clinical rotations at the Children's Evaluation and Rehabilitation Center, which is part of Albert Einstein Medical Center. And they're located in the Bronx in New York. And that's mm -hmm. where I met my mentor, Nancy Tarshish. I can't say enough, enough good things about that woman. So she, she's really the one who opened my eyes to like what speech could be. Cause I did, you know, my first, my few shadows, I was like, mm, I'm not still sure if I, this yeah. is for me. And then I met Nancy and she, that's where I fell and really fell in love with speech was at the clinic where she, she ran that clinic or the speech part she ran. And so I was able to do my my placements there during graduate school. And so seeing that type of outpatient setting where it might be affiliated with the hospital, but it's not, it's not inpatient in the hospital. It's not a school because speech mm -hmm. therapists work in school as well. And so I knew that that's what I wanted. So my first job after 
graduate school was at private practice at a private clinic. And are you still in New York at that time? No, I we moved down to Raleigh from New York right when I graduated, mm-hmm. and my first job was at a clinic in Durham. Okay, and so then eventually you start your own business, your own practice. Yeah, find your voice, speech, and language therapy. What led you wanting to open your own practice? So my practice is is still fairly new. Mm-hmm. I it was something that I was always kind of in the back of my mind when I went started the speech journey. I was like yeah, that would be a great goal to one day own my own. And at that point, you know, just starting graduate school, I wasn't really sure what that looked like, but it sounded like something I wanted. And I knew that I wanted to be always just me independent, you know, not me kind of in charge of a a large staff of people, but just my own, my own Mm -hmm. thing. And definitely have, you know, met people along the way that, you know, have done both or done a little bit of everything. So I knew I needed, you know, enough experience to be able to do that. And then just started, I started working at clinics. I was so happy in the clinical setting. And I've worked at two really fabulous clinics in the area here and, and loved it. And as I saw kind of everything that was involved with running a, you know, a practice, I, the dream kind of felt more, uh, it kind of getting, got pushed farther and farther off. I was like, that's something I'm going to do, you know, really like 20 years from now, you know, just see so far away. And I was just really like in, you know, mired in the day-to-day of being a therapist and and a mom and, you know, mm-hmm. balancing everything. I have two children now. I didn't once I, you know, when I started working, I didn't have any kids, uh, working as a speech therapist, rather. I did not have children. Mm-hmm. Now I have two children. And so the first kind of, so it was kind of a two-step process to get there of, of like, oh, I need to do this sooner than later. Mm-hmm. I became, first I became a mom and, you know, I'm always planning ahead and, and thinking like, you know, I just, the, the work-life balance piece. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I don't know, you know, any mom who doesn't struggle with it, whether they're working full-time, part-time, or even stay-at-home moms, right? You're always balancing something else that's not the, the child's care part or the parenting part. Mm-hmm. So I really fumbled a lot with that and really had a lot of difficulty, even though I worked for employers that were awesome and offered a lot of flexibility. It just wasn't exactly looking like the vision I had set out. And so I was like, man, how do I get, how do I get there? So that was always, but still had a lot of preconceptions about where I, what I thought I needed to have in place in order to start my own practice. So I kind of, those were sort of barriers of like, oh, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. I'll do that thing later. And for right now, I'll just kind of try to get through this part. And then the pandemic happened. And, you know, if I think back to we're almost at a year, you know, out. And so I think back to March of last year and, you know, everything, you know, shut down as we know. And the clinic I was working for here in Raleigh, I think we were only actually physically shut down for about two weeks, which was pretty remarkable. We opened up pretty soon after, but first just as telehealth and then slowly, you know, opening up the actual physical space, which opened up not too soon after, but I now didn't have any childcare and my children were still, you know, both preschool age at the time. So I was, I, I did for the first time and, you know, I, my the kids now are, fi- are five and a half and two and a half now. So for the first time in mm-hmm. almost, you know, four and a half, five years, I didn't have any child care at all. You know, no fan, you know, can't, grand, mm-hmm. can't bring the grandparents. In. I mean, there literally was just me and my husband and yeah. both working now from home. So I had to scale back to part-time. And I did telehealth only and did that through the spring and most of the summer. And then I found out that my daughter's kindergarten, you know, she's going into kindergarten was going to be remote. 
at least to mm. start. And then it was kind of the same whole thing, you know, over again, how are we going to navigate this, you know, kindergarten remote situation? Mm -hmm. So I decided to take a leave of absence and help her kind of get, uh, you know, squared away with school. But going back to being, you know, part-time telehealth and just kind of this new way of life that we were all in at mm -hmm. the time. Now I'm like working from my home for the first time and really, and then having a major kind of scheduling like thing, mm -hmm. like now the work and the life, it's all, it's all there. intermingled, it's all there. And so I was like, I need more, I need more flexibility. I need to be in control like being in control. That's my, I was like, I, I really need to be in control mm -hmm. of this situation. And I, and I don't know what school, you know, kindergarten is going to look like online. Yeah. And then we had, we had her on the track where she could go back whenever they opened, but there, we knew there were going to be a lot of, you know, you're yeah. going to go in, come out and just all the, all the stuff we've had to navigate with small kids with this pandemic. So I, I was like, I just need to, I started, you know, really seriously thinking about, could I do this on my own? And in some ways to outsiders, it might seem like a crazy time to start a business during the global pandemic when the, you know, economy was falling apart, but I really saw an opportunity mm -hmm. that there were lots of children who either fell off with their current speech therapy or the fact that they needed an evaluation get kept getting put mm. off because, you know, we were supposed to go and we had a referral and then everything shut down. And then yeah. I don't feel comfortable in the clinic, but how are we going to connect someone telehealth and my kids only two and how are they going to do that? You know, so there was a lot of stories that I was hearing just from kind of people and friends kind of all over, or my kid was getting speech therapy at school, but now that that looks different mm -hmm. now, or because, you know, spring school in the spring, virtual school in the spring and but, you know, by the fall, schools really had it together and they really put everything behind it. But in the spring, things were really different. Yeah. So, you know, how am I going to support what my kid needs that they're not getting? I saw an, and then just telehealth opening up such a vast, just so many more opportunities to connect with people. You know, you might live a little bit too far away to get to where I am, but we can still have a session, mm -hmm. you know, or you're, you're quarantining for 14 mm -hmm. days, you don't have to miss your sessions, right? So it's a new, it's all of a sudden, it opens up a whole new world. So I started just, you know, really looking at that as an option for myself and then saw like, you know, this is kind of the time the stars sort of aligned. Like mm -hmm. our life is a place where we can kind of try this out and see if it works. And it's just been phenomenal and really is working. So it was, I guess the right time to, to go for it. Like the stars did fully align for you hearing your story. You have two little kids and, you know, you're starting school for the first time with your child and just how your work with COVID and everything happened. You said previously that you had preconceptions though that was holding you back thinking that you would have to do this starting your own practice later in life. Do you look back at those preconceptions that you thought and were like, that, that was all in my head, maybe. Yeah, I think they were kind of like excuses, mm -hmm. you know, or, or just more doubts, you know, maybe yeah. self-doubt. But they weren't, if I had really looked into them, I would have saw that those things weren't actually true. You know, I have enough, you know, just experience to do this. And mm -hmm. also just logistically, the, the logistics, I knew I had enough, ex I knew I had en enough experience to yeah. do this, I think from the therapeutic side, but I think the logistics of being a business owner and everything that goes into that, I, you know, had some preconceived notions about that. 
you know, the advice I would give to anyone who want, kind of wants to do that is to really find someone who's done it before and it doesn't need to be in your field. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough. I had a mentor in my own home because my <laughs> husband had started his own business uh, mm -hmm. just a year before. You know, he's, he's actually not working for himself anymore, but he went through that whole process. Mm -hmm. So everything from, you know, filing with the state to, you know, setting up your LLC to all of those things, he had walked those shoes. And so it saved a lot of the research that just seemed, I still had to do a lot of research, but some of the just, oh, this feels like a mountain of research that, you know, where do I start? Yeah. Just talking to someone who's walked that walk is so helpful and mm -hmm. really kind of helps you figure out, okay, well, what, what do I already have? What do I need to get? How do I get there? So that was super, super helpful to have him as my, as my guide, even though he knows, you know, doesn't know anything about speech therapy, yeah. but he knows how to, he knew how to start a business. And that was super helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. So you start your practice. How did you start finding your first clients? I did have a client that came with me mm -hmm. from my, where, you know, where I was currently working, you know, connected with all of my, my network of just people, you know, that I know, whether they be former clients that had, you know, just kind of moved, graduated and were done with speech, but just families I keep in touch with, other therapists that I know, both speech, you know, occupational mm -hmm. therapists, other, and kind of just my network here, you know, in the Raleigh-Durham area. So I just kind of got the word out to as many people as I could mm -hmm. that I was doing this. And so I've actually gotten some referrals from other, other speech therapists that are their schedules are full or they're yeah. not, you know, taking any new clients right now. I also have been connecting with local preschools and daycares. You know, normally it's very common in, in that, in the preschools and the daycares, speech therapy, therapists and therapy clinics will go in and offer screenings for the children to see, you know, are there kids here who need to be evaluated and connecting them to the parents in that way. And so people aren't going into schools right now. So I was able to kind of arrange that virtually or through in-home visits and I've gotten some referrals that way as well. Are you primarily telehealth right now? So I do both telehealth and in-person appointments. Okay. The in-person appointments are done at the home of the family of the child. And that mm -hmm. is done under very stringent health and safety guidelines. I'm following, you know, obviously the CDC is the yeah. kind of the first and foremost, but then my extra, just <laughs> my extra levels of precaution on top of that. So, you know, there's, you know, if you've been to the doctor recently, you know, there's a bunch of health screening mm -hmm. questions you have to answer. So taking temperatures, PPE, right. The masks, everything. Mm -hmm. So it's similar to kind of, you know, that, that process It is as if they were coming to my office, but I'm actually coming to them, which is really helpful right now. I mean, it's always helpful yeah. when you have small children, it is really helpful right now for people to come to them because so many people are working from home. So even mm -hmm. if their child is still going out to daycare or preschool every day, you know, the parents home base is kind of like you know, everything is just, everyone's schedules are just so different and so home-based. So mm -hmm. um, not having, and just not having to enter, you know, just another, every time, you know, you go somewhere new, it's the whole thing. Yeah. Like, should I be entering this space? Should I? So for me to just come to them, it just takes a little bit of extra logistical pressure off of the parents. Mm -hmm. And for some people, I'm doing a hybrid of things. Some people want to start out virtual and then move to telehealth or I'm sorry, start virtual and move to in-person or vice versa. Yeah. Right? They want me to see their kid in person for the evaluation. Mm -hmm. You know, they always ask me, well, what's better? How can you really assess them? And I was like, well, that's 
that's my job is to assess yeah. that. No, no matter which, you know, method I can do it mm -hmm. either way. If you asked me that a year ago, I would have looked at you like you were crazy and said, I don't understand. And I'll be, I really never understood telehealth until I had to do it. And I realized, yeah. like, wow, this is actually, you can properly assess someone, treat, you know, there's certain things, but again, there's always a way, if there's certain things you can't do, there's always a way to get there. That's my, for my job, but for you as the parent, what are you comfortable? What are your, in terms of what? your boundaries are for mm. what you're comfortable with for health and safety. What do you want to do? So some parents have said, let's start out with an evaluation, especially for some older, ch older children, let's start out with an evaluation in person. And then let's move our sessions to online. They're already online for school. So this kind of just fits into yeah. the day. So it really just depends on what, what's needed. Yeah. Telehealth yeah. sounds like such a great option that you know, seems like it will stay around, stick around, you know, mm -hmm. that was never really offered before for most people, I would say. I think it will for, you know, just for so many different facets of mm -hmm. healthcare and medicine. I think that it will. I think that it, it it's something that makes it more healthcare, more accessible to people. Mm -hmm. And also just like not put off as like a thing like, oh, it's the weekend and yeah, you know, something's going on and you don't really, you know, it's not an urgent care. Oh, we'll just, we're going to address this now or, you know, and just adult counseling and therapy. I mean, mm -hmm. so many different things. Can you talk about what a speech assessment looks like at your practice? Yeah. I know it's probably very different depending on what issue they're trying to address, but you know, any one of them. It's pretty vast. So speech language pathologists, as I mentioned, you know, we see kids or adults. My specialty is with pediatrics. I'm looking at their their speech or their language or sometimes both so speech is what people typically know speech therapists for right for articulation and speech sound so whether that's you know people often think about the r sound right mm -hmm. that's like a thing that oh, yes. speech therapists are known for right so little <laughs> kids you know they might be real real small and starting to talk and they say wabbit with a you know a double mm -hmm. sensitive r rabbit so yes we do deal with speech sounds and sometimes those are just typical developmental patterns that kids don't grow out of sometimes there's something mm -hmm. else going on could be there they have difficulty actually like planning the motor movements of speech so the you know brain sending those messages to the articulators to move in a certain pattern so sometimes it's something a kid doesn't grow out of sometimes it's a motor planning thing sometimes it is something with their oral facial structure or functionality so it could be for a variety mm -hmm. of reasons but there's speech right there's language there's expressive and receptive language right so expressive language is everything that you, all of the words and sentences that you say and their meaning, right? And perceptive is the understanding of that. So if a kid's coming to me for an assessment, I might be looking at just their speech skills or their language or both, depending on what the concerns were coming in. We're always screening for everything. Even if a parent comes in with, you know, I just want to, I know that their sounds aren't, they haven't met that milestone. And I just want to address that. I'm always, my eyes are always everywhere. We're looking at kids that are, you know, kids who stutter. Stuttering is something that we handle social communication and pragmatic language. So sometimes that's called social skills. I don't really like that term, but how do you use language to interact with others? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you say to whom, when, you know, that's 
right? That message might be appropriate in one, you know, just one person in one yeah. venue, but in the, in the other, right? So dealing with that. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you know, speech therapists in hospitals, they deal with disorders of swallowing. I do not do that. So dysphagia, mm-hmm. you know, both children and adult, either for developmental or, you know, brain injury at birth or adults who've suffered a stroke or TBI or a variety of reasons why you could have difficulty with your swallowing. Some speech therapists work on feeding and mm-hmm. um, feeding skills and, you know, other rehabilitative things. So there's, oh, and literacy. I also work on literacy. A lot of people don't know that speech therapists work on, on reading, reading disorders, mm-hmm. dyslexia. We help children who have difficulty with reading, spelling, reading comprehension. So it's vast. So if a kid is coming in for an evaluation, it really depends on their age. If they're young, if they're young, like a late talker, you know, or a, I, see, I see kids from age, you know, from birth to all through college. So mm-hmm. it's going to depend. So if they're real small, we're going to be doing something that's very play-based. Play is how we first learn language. That I'm going to be looking at even their play skills to see how they're building language concept, how they're interacting and engaging with me as a play partner. And of course, what type of language that they have. There's always some type of standardized assessment that we give to see kind of where they fall. You know, really standardized assessments are are helpful, but not the whole picture. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in very thorough, comprehensive evaluation. It's really easy to just give a test, give a standardized test and then miss a whole boatload of things or, you know, to misdiagnose someone. And so really sharp evaluation skills are so important. You know, therapies, obviously, that's what people are coming into us for. And that's really important. But I really, the evaluation is so, so important to me because that's really what's going to set the stage for what type of therapy that they're going to get. And it can be so different. No Mm -hmm. two kids are the, no two kids are the same. Even if the parents' concerns are the same, not only are they not this, you know, the same in terms of their personality, but their communication skills and their communication challenges are there's not, not, none to those things. So play, you know, so there's always going to be a piece that's standardized and then a piece that's not standardized for a little kid. That's going to be, you know, the play piece for older, older children. It's going to be, you know, from looking at their speech, you know, playing different games or getting different, talking to them about different topics where I'm going to get a, a speech sample, get them mm-hmm. talking in conversation and connected speech to really see where the breakdowns are can do the same for a language sample, same for a stuttering, you know, a fluency sample. So mm-hmm. lots of, for kids who can communicate verbally, lots of to- mm-hmm. <laughs> talking activities and evaluation. Sometimes we'll watch a short movie and they'll have to retell it. So the non-standardized piece and the standardized piece. Now, I also work with children who are have more profound speech impairment uh, or I'm um, sorry, communication impairments rather. So mm-hmm. I work with nonverbal communicators. So, you know, for them, it might be that they need to be connected with a device to help them speak or some type of what we call AAC, it stands for alternative and augmentative communication. And that can be low tech things or high tech things and high tech, mm-hmm. you know, you think about a speech generating device is kind of like an iPad, it's something that looks like an iPad or is an iPad with a software program. Yeah. So for some of these kids, that's the first time they'll ever hear it's not their voice physically coming out of their body, but mm-hmm. it's the voice that's in their in their mind, right? So being able to evaluate their skills, interacting with different types of low-tech or high-tech AAC to pair them with the right tool for them to help them communicate. Mm-hmm. 
And that is a very long-winded <laughs> response. But as speech therapists, we're really wordy. We live in words all the time. We love to talk and we'll talk your ear off. So yeah, evaluation is going to be so different depending on who. And the kids are also different. I work with kids who, you know, that wide age range, some kids are what we call sort of otherwise typically developing. Their development, you know, globally, kind of at age appropriate norms, we would say, but they're having trouble with some area of communication, right? They might, articulation mm -hmm. might be their issue or stuttering, right? But otherwise there's nothing else going on. Then that runs a whole spectrum of, you know, up to kids who have a medical or developmental diagnosis. And that is part of what, why they have challenges with their communication. So I, I work with and really, you know, and have a specialty in the area of working with children on the autism spectrum. My, you know, I work with kids mm -hmm. who have Down syndrome or cerebral palsy. So it's a huge range of ability levels and developmental levels. And that's part of what makes it so fun and exciting is that it's never the same and it's never boring. And I'm learning from my kids and from their families all the time. They're teaching me every day and pushing, you know, me to better my self in, you know, the treatment and evaluation that I give them, you know, every day. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, this is fascinating. After you assess a child, I, and I know, obviously, this is very different for each child. What steps do you take from there though? You know, maybe you assess a child and you see that there is something going on. You know, what do you do from there? After we've done the evaluation, um, that's, that's what you're asking right after that evaluation is complete. So the evaluation is complete. Typically at the end of the evaluation, I try, if I have a, um, the chance to speak with a parent, um, I'll try to just kind of give them some high level takeaways. Like here, you know, I still have to analyze all of this information and write up, I write up a really comprehensive report, but here's what I saw today. Maybe here are some things you can start working on maybe. And you know, we're going to, I'm recommending therapy or I'm not usually I'm able to tell at that point. Um, and then I write okay. up um, a report and it's very, um, always very comprehensive and it has mm -hmm. a plan of care at the end. And the plan of care are the goals that we'll work on in therapy. If I'm recommending therapy, we'll have, if I'm not recommending therapy, I'm going to have some recommendation, like work on A, B and C things come back to me in six months and let's see where they're at. Maybe they just need a little bit more time or maybe I'm referring them out to a different um, professional um, that's not in my area. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, anyway, so they'll get the goals that they need to, um, that we're gonna address in therapy and um, deliver the report, set up our sessions. I meet with kids usually once or twice a week and depending on mm -hmm. what you know how much they need to work on and what the kind of severity level is of, of the issue that they're working on and then we then we start we start therapy yeah what does therapy look like is there a general like treatment plan i guess or style that you use or that you do best with yeah so my style is um it, it has to, it has to be for i mean it has to be fun. <laughs> if it's not fun, the kid's not going to buy in. Yeah. And I don't care who you are, how old you are, what, how, you know, I think some people look at kids who are, you know, might appear to be super um, impaired or not able. No, mm -hmm. every, every child is a child and they have things that bring them joy. 
And so no matter where they're at, that's what I'm going to try to find. What is it that brings them joy, Mm -hmm. meet them where they're at. And it's less of a, it's a very child led style. I'm, um, have taken some trainings in DIR floor time, which is all about that's usually used a lot with children on the spectrum, but mm-hmm. you can use it with literally, you can use floor time with your family members, <laughs> your partner. Yeah. Um, it's really meeting someone where they're at and following their lead and building upon mm-hmm. what, what brings that, you know, what interests their interests so that you're engaged in, an, in a back and forth communication. And so um, that's really the, the kind of like the foundation of my style. Um, and we're going to do, uh, let, you know, give them activities that they enjoy. And as far as the actual treatment methods, those are vast, um, and very dependent upon what it is that we're working on. Mm-hmm. The one big, anyone who's interested in speech, uh, you know, a student who's interested in speech therapy, I tell them like, okay, so graduate school is where you learn about like, you know, the theories and everything behind the science behind everything and all of the different disorders, right? You get like the foundation and you do get real world hands-on experience when you go out into, I mean, I Mm -hmm. went to a fabulous grad program, so they gave us everything, but what you don't get in those two, when you don't get, you don't, not that you don't get it, but what you don't get in detail are the skilled interventions that you need to, the, the treatment programs, like you're saying, is there a plan or a program that you follow this comes within continuing education after school. We are always taking classes and they are, um, they're essential, are essential. And I say, if you can even like afford to take some during graduate school or start or hook up with people um, in your first job that can train you, you know, mm-hmm. you might not have that certification, but that can start training you. So some examples are those like for articulation, I use um, a method called prompt, which is, um, uh, you are actually kind of like, it's not, we're doing a commodified version during um, COVID right now, but a lot of like touching of the, of the, of the articulators mm-hmm. of um, where they are on the face um, to help with speech sounds. Um, you know, there's the Kaufman speech to language protocol. There's all these programs and protocols for um, all of the different areas of speech. And you really need those tools in your toolbox. Yeah to be a very effective therapist you don't you can start without them but you really need those tools and again like just hooking up with people that can either give you some like you know training or going to the trainings are really key so um so when i'm planning a kid's you know goals that we're going to work on i'm already thinking what are the skilled interventions i'm going to use and Mm -hmm. it's a lot of trial and error i might try something start signing something with a kid excuse me trying something with a kid and it doesn't it's not working for them. And so I have to, I have to then take something else that, okay, we're going to try this. And they don't know, they just know they're playing whatever, you know, we're playing with Play-Doh or Mm -hmm. we're playing a board game or we're doing pretend play with toys and they don't know, you know, what it is. Um, You know, now if I'm working with a much older child with, you know, typical cognition for their age, I might be explaining some more, you know, things. They do work with teenagers and and they want to know what it is that they're doing. you know, but I'm, and then I'm always explaining to the parent, parent education is a huge, if it, it, it needs, it, if it's not, it should, it has to always be a huge part of speech therapy. The parent has to be involved. Sometimes that is them sitting right on the floor with us. And sometimes it's just for whatever reason they're observing or I'm, I'm hooking up with them after, mm-hmm. but afterwards we're deep, like talking about what happened in the session. What can they work on at home? How can they carry this over? And because the carryover is so important. If it just 
you know, the session can't just be like a box yeah. where the therapy lives and it has to be in there every day because language, speech and language is totally dynamic. I mean, you're using it all the time for everything. So um, that parent education piece is huge. The parents have to understand what we're doing and why. Um, and I'm not training them to be, you know, at home speech therapists. I'm just, you know, showing them how they can kind of bridge the gap in their, mm-hmm. in their daily life. So, um, so yeah, so speech therapy sometimes looks like I'm sitting on the floor with a dollhouse with the kid and we're playing with the dollhouse. Sometimes it looks like that. And sometimes it's a little more structured and we're at the table with an older kid with a board game and mm-hmm. we have, you know, picture, you know, picture, picture cards that we're, you know, working on with our target word. And, um, and sometimes we're walking or, you know, like, you know, in the clinic, I mean, but now in home, maybe we're walking around the house talking to different family members or, you know, we're zoom calling someone mm-hmm. and practicing our skills, um, interviewing people or talking with, with yeah. friends. Um, so it really varies depending on what the child's working on. Yeah. When I see a kid not having fun and I was like, all right, I need to like, we need to scrap <laughs> this and change it. Cause if, if they're gonna, they, I want the, I know I'm doing my job when the kid is yes, succeeding with their goals, obviously mm-hmm. that's why they're coming. But if they're, if they're resisting coming to speech, like I know I'm doing a good job when they're like excited to see me, like wanting to come asking their parents, like they've been asking me all week when they're coming to see you, like, then I know it's like, okay, this is is good. And the relationship with the parent, I, I will, you know, any parent that I meet, like we will, uh, you know, it's obviously, uh, there's still a client, uh, you know, therapist relationship Mm -hmm. there. So, you know, there's appropriate boundaries, but like, we will have a good relationship yeah. <laughs> by, you know, the end of our, or, you know, hopefully soon after we start working together, cause we have to be partners mm-hmm. in this. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> what does your typical day look like? So my typical day now as a, as a business owner of my own speech practice looks very different than my old typical day working in the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, my, my typical day as of right now is, um, I get up and I try to work out most mornings um, in my in my house, right? Where everything everyone thing happens in our homes yes. right now. So I get up, you know, pretty early, like probably like around six, mm-hmm. and get in a workout while everyone's still sleeping, um, and get ready for the day, and then um, get to um, you know one of the benefits of having my own business is I really get to you know spend a lot of time with my with my girls, and that's really important to me. So um, you know, get them make them breakfast have breakfast together, get them ready for their school day. Um, some days it is a home, some days it is an asynchronous learning day and some days it's a homeschool day. So those days look different, but um, now, that, now that they're both back in in-person school, I drop them both off at their schools and come home. And when I come home, then start working. Sometimes I'm going straight from dropping them off to a, an appointment, um, an in-home appointment. And sometimes um, I'm back at the house and um, the days um, look very different. So it's a variety of either um, telehealth appointments or in-home appointments, um, either evaluations or screenings or th- treatment sessions. Mm-hmm. Then um, lots of following up with parents via phone because you know if they're especially as they're getting set up. So I might have just done a screening. Mm-hmm. I'm recommending therapy. I'm explaining why or going over the results of an evaluation, doing an intake call. So when someone um, reaches out to me for the first time and they haven't had a screening and they're coming to me, 
with a concern about their child, I do a, an intake call that mm-hmm. lasts about 30 minutes. And I kind of, we just kind of go through the bat, their history, everything to see. So I, that gives me kind of like being a detective, yeah. right? Like you're getting all clues and like figuring out, okay, like what kind of evaluation do we need to do for this kid? What are we going to set up for them? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so doing that. And then lots of speech therapists do do lots of paperwork. So, um, writing evaluation reports, we write a treatment note at the end of every session. Um, that's our documentation mm-hmm. of, you know, what happens. We can look back and see like the progress that they're making over, you know, session to session, week to week. So I'm writing treatment notes at the end of sessions and then planning. I plan every session. Um, I'm different and some speech therapists don't just kind of walk in and do, I, I plan every single session. Um, look back at what happened last mm-hmm. time, what worked well, what didn't work, why, what do we need to do? This kid wasn't really into that activity. What else can I bring to the table to engage them? Um, and then just the, and then there's mm-hmm. the business part, which is kind of fun and new to me, like just the logistics of, you know, invoicing, billing, marketing, um, connecting with people, getting, you know, getting mm-hmm. my name out there, making sure I have, you know, cause you know, at some point kids will graduate from speech therapy or, you know, and sometimes it's, sometimes it might be a mm-hmm. lifelong journey, but people, you know, move states or leave and I need to, you know, make sure I'm yeah. getting, uh, connecting with others and then, um, continuing education, <laughs> taking classes all the time. Um, haven't taken one in a while. So that means it's probably time to, I've taken a lot, I've been lucky to take, I've taken a lot. So, um, the pandemic slowed mm-hmm. me down a bit, but I need to get back on, um, reading research need to be everything we do is evidence-based so I need to be up on the latest um, research coming out of um, the communication sciences field so I know um, so I'm able to back up what I'm talking about and doing with with support with research support and data Mm -hmm. is continuing education is that part of keeping your license every year as well yeah it's um so we are so speech therapists have kind of uh, have a license and then a certification so we all have a state license um and then typically it's different state to state but typically the states then um will um they will audit us at a certain point every few years to to make sure we have all of our hours Mm -hmm. but the governing body that kind of says this is how many hours you need in a three-year period is called um asha the american speech language and hearing association because that also covers audiologists as well, who, um, you know, that hearing mm-hmm. is their area. So speech language pathologists and audiologists. So um, they, you get a, a national certification through them, um, different than a license. So we have certification and a license. I mean, you don't have to have the certification, but 90% of people probably do. And then you have to have the license. Um, so yeah, okay. I have to do a certain number. I think it's like 30 hours every three years or something like that. What's the most rewarding aspect of your job? There's a lot of them, but probably just that moment when a kid just like they get it and it doesn't matter what the it is, how small Mm -hmm. or how big when they reach a, you know, a milestone or a goal that they've been working on and they're heard. Um, And my name of my practice is find your voice because that, and that means a lot of different things for all of those different areas I mentioned Mm -hmm. that we work in. So um, it's just as rewarding to me to see a kid who, you know, may have really been struggling with a sound and gets it clearly and is able to then ask that question or say something, you know, 
to appear or find something in a role play and they get it, that's super exciting. Just as exciting as a child mm -hmm. who's been nonverbal their entire life and then finally can um, be able to interact with the world and you know some verbal output using a speech generating device. Um, little late talker, you know, the our late talkers who, you know, my two and three year olds or, or even older, you know, four or five year olds who um, also, you know, mm -hmm. haven't been saying any words or barely making sounds and their parents just want to communicate with them so badly. So that moment for the child and a moment for the parent um, as well, um, because you're, you know, your speech therapist, I'm a pediatric speech therapist, but I'm also very um, enmeshed with the, with the family and the parents. That's the only way it works mm -hmm. with pediatrics. So um, that moment where the kid gets it and everyone is just, is heard and the family's just so happy that that they're making progress. Yeah, I just got chills. I mean, I can't imagine being able to see, you know, the progress right in front of you when a child gets it, you know, your hard work, everyone's hard work. Sounds it's so pretty rewarding. cool. And sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a while. But it's I and I and I always encourage parents, you know, when I see parent, a parent getting frustrated, like, okay, we've mm -hmm. had another session. And to them, you know, they don't see, you know, when you're looking like day to day, they might not see the progress. Mm -hmm. And I say, always encourage them when it's when it feels very slow. Look back six months. I always say, look back six months or look mm -hmm. back a month. Like look look at that view or here, like I'll show it to you, you know, mm -hmm. on paper, like let's, let's go back and see how they were when I evaluated them. And like, now let's look where they are now. And they always are like, Whoa, wow. Yes. Because yeah. they're just in the day-to-day -day grind. They might not see those little changes are actually huge things mm -hmm. um, that wouldn't have happened um, otherwise. Okay. And then on the flip side, what's the most challenging part of your job? And that as a business owner can be on that side as well. The most challenging, I think um, it's a hard one. I have to kind of pull from my previous clinic experience. Cause I haven't, I've been, I haven't had many huge, mm -hmm. you know, challenges yet as a, as a business owner. I think, I think the challenge has been when there's, um, just some type of of barrier um, that that we have to work through that might be something um extraneous something external um like whether it's you know the child being able to show up for therapy on a consistent basis you know again mm -hmm. telehealth's been helpful with that um you know these parents you know if you're a, a parent of a child with special needs you, you know there's a lot of challenges that they're facing day to day. So their ability to physically show up, even though it's what the child needs, it might not always be where the family's at. Um, mm -hmm. That type of thing of, you know, um, trying to, or a parent is just, you know, overwhelmed, um, can create some barriers, um, you know, um, just access, um, whether, you know, um, insurance, you know, different, different things that kind of create a barrier. Mm -hmm. And, and then, you know, the pandemic was a huge one. We all, you know, it's amazing the things that have happened, but, you know, just access to the care, um, getting people the full, what they need, uh, mm -hmm. sure that they're, um, that they're, you know, you really, that really weighs on you when you know that you can help someone, but there's something preventing you. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, what can we do? You know, do we need to bring, you know, yeah. 
whoever some help to help with that. But, you know, there's always a ways around that. But as a therapist, you know, there's just gonna, it's just life. There's going to be times where I can't, you know, I'm not a miracle worker. Um, and there's some things that I can't help or fix, um, you know, that the, that the parent child needs, but for the most part, no big challenges. Um, yeah, as a business owner, we sailing. Um, and I'm sure that there will be, you know, humps along the way and just try to figure out way over it. <laughs> What's something you wish more people knew about with a career as a speech therapist? Yeah, I think that just that it that it is out there, that it is a career. I, I think um, mm-hmm. there's so much to it than just what I think what people's perceptions are. And I love, um, I think I think it's definitely become more, um, there's been more of a light, um, you know, shined on it, you know, recent years. I know when mm-hmm. the King's Speech movie came out, that's like an old movie, it came out a while ago, but I know like that was kind of like a hot topic or um, with Amanda mm-hmm. Gorman doing the, inaug- um, her, reciting her poem at the inauguration. Mm-hmm. I know people were, she's had speech therapy, people were ch- talking about it, but I love that there were more moments like that. They kind of like are quick and they die out and speech is yeah. so vast. I mean, to talk to um, people who work in, uh, you know, the inpatient side of hospitals, you know, in acute care, um, you know, helping people who've had strokes or traumatic brain injuries. I mean, there's just, there's kind of something for everyone. So I think if you're someone who, mm-hmm. you know, that's has something to do with words. So whether you enjoy words or you don't, but if you want to be kind of in a, in a healthcare field, but, you know, it's not exactly medicine that you want or an education field, but it's not, you know, teaching that you exactly want. I mean, it's really a hybrid of those Mm -hmm. things. You get to learn, you know, everything from anatomy to physiology to um, child development, behavior. I mean, there's so many areas that it touches. And so I think, um, I think just people knowing more, more, that it's more than just saying speech sounds it's it's really more than that um yeah uh and that there's lots of different ways that you can do it you know you can be a school or a hospital or outpatient there's just so many different ways it, it's definitely hard work and a little bit of a of a long road but so is anything that's mm-hmm. you know kind of valuable <laughs> worth doing yes. career-wise usually you know you're gonna do it somewhere along the line um so I think if you're interested in it, just try to get more info about it and definitely shadowing. I know shadowing is a little bit trickier right now, but things are, you know, changing and um, sometimes mm-hmm. shadowing over telehealth is possible and just going to get, get out there to just, or talk to someone, just have a conversation with someone about what they, what they do. Yeah. Okay. Just a final yeah. few fun questions to wrap this up. What did you want to be as a kid? As a kid? Oh, definitely a, pro- a professional like dancer, ballerina. I was always, always very, uh, I did ballet my whole life. So I was very obsessed mm-hmm. with, you know, the New York city ballet and wanting to be in the New York city ballet. So yeah, absolutely. Hands down. Mm. <laughs> Are you an introvert or extrovert? I am. That's a funny question. So I'm definitely an introvert, but I'm like a extroverted introvert. I've taken those like Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. and all those like ideograms and things. And like, it always says, yeah, I've taken all those. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very social and, and I'm definitely outgoing, but I'm an, I'm an introvert. I am like in with my thoughts and, uh, and yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Cause it's like, and then when I meet an actual extrovert, I'm like, Oh, that's how we're different. Okay. Like, like I need to, I want to be out with everyone and, and, you know, and then I want to be 
then I need like downtime from that. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I can totally relate. What's your go-to drink? My go-to drink? Ooh, yes. Um, like a cocktail or like a... Yeah, well, whatever. I would say I would say either like um, a glass of Sauvignon Blanc or like a cab. I love both mm-hmm. red and white. Or um, I love margaritas and um mm-hmm. and cocktails and we've gotten really good over the you know pandemic times at home like making yeah. like buying lots of citrus fruit and trying to make like the mm-hmm. best you know uh fresh margarita we can make so we've had a lot of fun yeah. at home and you know just trying to make the best of it <laughs> I just gave you you asked me for one favorite and I gave you three but there you go so, and also the weather dependent you know if it's like chilly outside I want a red it's oh, getting yeah. warm this week I want of course <laughs> Yeah, the last few days, I'm like, oh, I could go for a chilled glass of wine right now. Rosé, yeah, I forgot about that because it's been so cold and rainy. But yeah, when it's, you know, the summer, glass of rosé. <laughs> okay, what skills and strengths of yours would you say has helped you the most throughout your journey? The biggest one, I mean, just for working with people and, and kids and families, you just have to be really, um, it's weird to talk about myself being empathetic. You have to be. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge thing, like a piece of it you know, everyone wants to think of themselves as empathetic, but I think if you want to go on this career path of being any type of a therapist, you have to Mm -hmm. really look at yourself and say, like, can I really put myself in somebody's shoes? And can I really, um, you know, I think that's definitely um, a strength of mine. I feel embarrassed saying that, but it's, it's, it's really important. You've really got to understand what it's like to be, because, you know, in their situation mm-hmm. and beyond what's going on in the clinic or in a session, like what is their life like? Um, otherwise you're just not going to connect um, yeah. and it's going to be a short lived relationship. So that's important. You really got to be empathetic. Um, and um, yeah, just, just I, the attention to detail is huge. Um, that's always mm-hmm. been a strength of mine. Um, to a fault sometimes, but it, it's really important in this field. It's so easy to miss something. Mm-hmm. We refer, I refer children for, uh, to have, a, you know, we don't diagnose autism, but we're kind of on the front line of that mm-hmm. because we might be seeing a child for the first time that's doing something different with their development. And it, and, and because, you know, sp- again, speech and language, it's everything. So it's gonna sometimes, pre- sometimes present for the first mm-hmm. time in that way. And so I'm often the one who is bringing this up to the families for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's, sometimes it's me and it's not even the pediatrician. It's me. And we have to have that hard conversation. Sometimes it's not a hard conversation. Sometimes the parent is like knew it in their bones and like, yeah. like, oh, thank you. Like you're seeing, you know, yeah. uh, and making sure I refer them to the right preferred provider because, um, Lots of people out there can diagnose autism. Not all of them are, in my opinion, um, the right people to be doing so. So making sure I'm sending them to someone who's actually going to do the work to give the, a proper diagnosis, um, and not and 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 that can be the case for lots of different other types of you know disorders or syndromes. Mm-hmm. So um, the attention to detail is, is is huge, and looking at kids really globally and not just you know thinking they fit into a cookie cutter box. Okay, last question. What advice would you give someone who wants to be a speech pathologist? Talk to people, make sure it's the right fit. You know, it's a it's an endeavor of time and money and or mm-hmm. student loans or whatever. So, you know, just make sure it's 
it's what you want, but don't be scared by those things. Of the t- don't like, don't do what I was doing with the private practice thing. Like, oh, I can't do that for mm-hmm. these reasons. Like, mm-hmm. any you can if you want to, you can. So, talk to people, um, talk to people in different settings. Kind of, you know, see if there's something speaking to you. Um, definitely try to. I think if you're in graduate school or when you get there do research on the clinical placements. That is huge. I stumbled into my luck of finding um, Nancy Tarshish at SIRS. Um, Someone introduced me Mm -hmm. to her. Not all of the clinical placements are created equal. So make sure that you find one that is good, that is hard, that is strenuous. That's where I learned to write evaluation reports the way that I write them. Um, you know, not, mm-hmm. not one page, can <laughs> I get a one page evaluation report for me? It might be four to 10 pages. So, um, mm-hmm. find some people who are doing the time, to- spending real time with the students to really supervise, train them, people who have a passion for doing that in their placement and at a placement where you can see a wide variety of types of children, um, and that might not, you might, all three placements not like, might not be like that, but if you can get one and say to your, you know, program director, hey, I want to go to this one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I would say to do for sure, because that's going to really give you the um, the training you need when you get out there on your own and you're uh, doing it by yourself. So. so exciting. Erica, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Erica. I hope it's inspired you and provided some insight into what a career in speech therapy looks like. And also that it's okay not to have everything figured out when you graduate college or even when you're in a career. If you enjoyed the episode, I would love to hear it. Please leave a comment below and you can also follow the podcast along on Instagram at Find Your Niche Podcast. Thanks for listening.